If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. And I am your host, Todd Huff. Email thoughts, questions, opinions, your adoration and praise to Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Facebook, kidding, not kidding. Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show, where we're streaming Hour one of the program today. Good to be here. Thank you for thank you for joining us. You know, for some time uh, now, I have, and you know this, you know this, the Democratic Party uh, does not want a crisis to go to waste. And as I've gone through the things I want to talk about today, again, we don't do themes, but sometimes, sometimes themes develop or a common thread is exposed um, when we look at what's being discussed in the media or what is being done by politicians. And the thread of not letting an opportunity go to waste, a crisis, I should say, which they are one and the same to the left. Until we understand, until enough people understand that the Democrat Party today, the Democrat Party today is a complete ideological machine. Until we understand that, we're not going to fully recognize the battle uh, that we're we're up against. And I'm not talking about rank-and-file Democrats. I'm talking about the leadership. I'm talking about the strategists. I'm talking about those. I saw Marie Harf on, I think I saw her on Dana Perino's show the other day. And she was... um, I mean, just the way that she responded to some of these questions, it was completely, completely disingenuous, completely disingenuous, completely um, just not the least. I think she was talking about Biden, not the least bit. Um, She wasn't anywhere close to acknowledging the reality of the charges, the allegations, the seriousness um, about Joe Biden. She was talking about how. The Democrats never said that all women should be believed, and instead what they were saying was that all women deserve to be heard. But that is, of, of course, not what they said, and she just you know, acted, acted as though this is exactly what the Democrats have been saying all along. It's not true. It's actually what people like you and I have been saying all along. An allegation should be heard. It doesn't mean that the media has to explore it. I mean sometimes there's proper channels – with Kavanaugh, they didn't have to go to the to the press with that, but that's what they 
That's again, they saw an opportunity. They saw a crisis potentially. They didn't want it to go to waste, and they were willing to use it no matter no matter what the cost. And so there are um, lots of examples, lots of examples of the ideological battle that's being that's showing through this whole. It's really coming through with coronavirus. It's coming through to some uh, some uh, some degree with. Uh, the way that Biden, of course, is being is being covered. Some of these things that are happening now uh, regarding uh, release of documents, which Adam Schiff is um, having documents, they're going to be released. And he's, of course, concerned about this because he's told us for a long time, got to go back in our memory banks, but he guaranteed us that there was some very, very convincing proof Undeniable proof, in fact, that Trump committed uh, collusion with Russia. You couldn't argue otherwise. In fact, if you argued otherwise, you were a, um, you know, you were a, a, just a Trumpist, someone who refused to see the truth, um, and and you know would not accept what fair and reasonable evidence was being presented against President Trump. Of course, we find out that it is not the case. That is not the case at all, and we're going to see these documents. So all these things, all these things that we see happening around us, the Democrats are either misconstruing, uh, flat-out lying about, or trying to use as a wedge. AOC's out there talking uh, talking about socialists in America, well, just Americans in general, to take advantage of this opportunity to go on a general strike, to fundamentally change this great nation. After all, who wants to go back to work? Period. This is their chance, she argues, to make the much-needed and much-desired changes to this great nation. So, lots to talk about. I want to start, though. I want to start with this soundbite. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, um, this, this is a gentleman. He's the uh, host of a program called Seat at the Table. He's a host with uh, a program called he is Seat at the Table, Vice on TV. His first name is Anand, A-N-A-N-D. His last name is tough for me to pronounce. It's uh, Giraharadis, uh, is I believe how you pronounce his last name. And I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen Again, he represents he's, – he's a radical. You can find that out in about four seconds from this. But I want you to just listen to what he's saying. He's calling into question some fundamental principles of the United States. And he calls Americans – accuses Americans of being, quote, freedom-obsessed. Freedom-obsessed. There's other things to consider and be concerned with besides freedom. I mean I'm sure – you can imagine here Anon sitting around the table um, during the founding of this nation with the great founders that we had, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. I'm sure that they would have entertained the notion, hey, you know what, there's other things to consider here besides freedom. And look, of course there's a role for government. Of course there, uh, there has to be some power that's given to the government, um, but that – Power should not, should always include should always include a desire to 
maintain maintain as much freedom as possible. But he's saying here that we're freedom possessed. And I'm telling you, this this is the time. These are the critical moments in history where things are happening. Opportunities are there for the left to take hold of this and to squeeze from this circumstance, these terrible circumstances that we're facing, these difficulties, to squeeze out of this more of their radical agenda. And so as we navigate the realities of the health problems, the health concerns of coronavirus and the economic impacts of coronavirus, we have to also be vigilant, not just about those things, but also looking for individuals like Anand here who are arguing for greater government control, greater government role, criticizing Americans for being freedom-loving. We'll talk about AOC as well, calling for general strike. People will take advantage of these crises. And if you'll notice, in many cases, I would say in almost all cases, they're members of the radical left. They use a, a circumstance, an event, a problem, a crisis that's happening in this country, and then they say, how can we exploit that to to implement things that we've been talking about as utopian ideals for this great nation? And we've been talking about these things for decades. How can we somehow use the situation, the fear, the uncertainty that Americans have to somehow get them to give up their freedom, to stop being so freedom-loving, to give more power and control to the government to fundamentally change this great nation. And so there's lots of examples of that. Here is one, again, from Anand. I'm not going to attempt the last name again. MSNBC is where he was being interviewed the other day. I believe this was on, uh, this was yesterday, I think. So I want you to hear this. Check it out. One of the the fundamental questions to me is what's going to be our relationship to government, the idea of government, after this. And, and we kind of look at it at three levels this week. There is a primordial American tradition going back to the founders of being freedom obsessed, even though we're a country founded on slavery and genocide, being freedom obsessed to the point that we are always so afraid of the government coming for us that we are blind to other types of threats, whether it's a virus, whether it's bank malfeasance or what have, climate change, what have you. Um, there's also a more, a, a more recent kind of 40-year version of this, which is the Reagan war on government, right? Government is the problem. That's not just an idea on the right. There's a hard version on the right. There's a small-c conservative militant version of it. But there's also, it, it has infected many people on the left in, in, in this passive sense that, yeah, I believe in government, but I would never go work there. Or I believe in government, but, you know, I kind of don't like my taxes too high or I use, you know, trusts in the Cayman Islands. Um, so, And then there's the more recent Trump era twist in this, which is the war on government becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You undermine government, you undermine it, you undermine it. You put someone who can barely read a sentence in government, in, in the figure of Donald Trump, and it becomes true that government sucks because you've made it suck by telling everybody it sucks. And I think the most important thing that could come out of this is realizing that government is not the biggest threat to our liberty. It can be a threat to our liberty, but we're threatened by many, many things. And what government fundamentally does is protect us from a lot of those other oppressions that we in America are often quite blind to. Okay, government is not our biggest threat to liberty. Government is not. That's what he said, and I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what 
That's what he said here. Now, you might shrug this off as fringe, which I might agree to some extent, but I'm telling you, it's that attitude, if we shrug it off, it's that attitude that caused us to one day open our eyes in 2012 during the nomination process for the Democrat Party and look up and see Bernie Sanders having a legitimate chance if it not if it were not for the power brokers in the Democrat Party. Bernie Sanders would have been quite very easily could have been the nominee. Same is true this year for the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders was the front runner until they coalesced, until the party brokers, the power brokers, the party bosses got together and said, look, we can't have this guy. Not going to happen on our watch. Need everybody else to get out of the race. Joe, we need you uh, to to finish this campaign. We need you to be the guy. We, we hesitate even saying this because we, as the words come out of our mouths, we know that what we're saying is borderline insane. But you are our best hope. And so they have that's that's what's happened here and and we've dodged two not that not that Hillary of course was good or not that Biden was a good choice either I'm not suggesting that but I am suggesting that they're not completely outright uh, unapologetic socialists as Bernie Sanders is now they may have a lot of the same beliefs and I think that they do but they're not comfortable enough coming out and, and embracing some of these things or um, in, embracing just the, the openness of the, the candor of, of Bernie Sanders. Everything's free. Um, it doesn't matter what things cost. You even saw some of this back and forth during the debates. And I know it's about positioning and posturing, and there's a difference between what someone really thinks and what they want to do versus what they tell people their priorities are so i get the differences there but my point is my point is is that we have to take especially in the age of social media right there's there used to be and i'm not suggesting this was a good thing but there used to be kind of a a vetting process to even get onto a stage and people who said things like anand just said here could not have found a stage in most cases because it would have been considered fringe and candidly insane. Now they've got their own channels or their own uh, cable news shows or whatever this guy's got, and they can build an audience, and there's a hunger for this. These folks, in fact, these folks are oftentimes younger people who have a just have a natural intuition on how to manage things like social media, how to build an online following, how to get a movement from virtually non-existent to a, a movement that's quickly spreading across the country. And we shouldn't laugh this off. I mean, it, again, is nutty on the one hand to say that the biggest threats... I mean, what are the other biggest threats to, to our liberty? I mean... I understand that you could say, I guess you could say the virus is a threat to liberty, but the virus is something that we have, there's certain things in this universe we have no control over. And there's certain things in this universe, you know, that aren't necessarily uh, intentionally, they're, they're just doing what they do. 
viruses are doing what they're what they do. They're trying to survive and pass from from host to host, right? To to live as long as they they can. And it's much different than having someone who's intentionally trying to undermine or take away your freedom of assembly, your freedom of religion, your freedom of speech, your freedom to keep and bear arms. He acts as though the main threat is something else, and the government's actually on our side. Government's on our side. I'm not saying that no one in government is on the side of liberty, but I am saying that that is not necessarily the default position. I'm not necessarily saying that people who are elected to Congress, especially if they have a, uh, well, oftentimes if they have a D next to their name, even times when they have an R next to their name, they often think that they know better for us. The soft tyranny is, is an oppressive form of government, is an oppressive way of living. And we see that. We see that firsthand unfolding before our very eyes. I know this guy might be fringe, but this idea... These things that he's saying, as crazy though they may seem to you, appeal to more people than I care to admit. And I've got to take a break. I'll post this on Facebook for those of you that want to see this. Uh, it was in a Fox News article. That was in a tweet that was tweeted out by uh, Tom Elliott, who monitors this stuff pretty well. He'll he'll tweet out some stuff like this. Uh, I'd say pretty regularly. But these are this is what we're up against. There are people in positions of power, in positions of influence, who believe these things, who believe that government is not a threat to liberty. Folks, by definition, even our founders said, our founders said if men were angels, who said that Jefferson, no government, government wouldn't be necessary. Government is a necessary evil, effectively. Government is force. Force is not a good thing. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Government is force. When Bernie Sanders wants socialism and he wants more things you know, uh, made public in the sense of the government taking them over or taking on the responsibility of providing them, he's taking away the freedom of someone else because – and he's an implementing force. He's going to force someone else through the use of government to, to give up something – in many cases, money, so that he can do with it what he thinks best for the general population or for the whole. And that is not, that is a threat to liberty by definition. Whether you like what the government's doing or hate it, that is an infringement upon our liberties. And I have to take a break. Log in this segment. When we get back, I want to shift gears and talk about AOC, something else that we've got to keep aware, uh, to, to stay aware of keep on top of talk about that when we return you're listening to conservative not better talk i'm your host todd huff back in just a minute welcome back so i mentioned before before the break in addition to this lunatic, this Anand, which I posted that on Facebook if you want to see that or uh, just to, to see the the clip again that we played last segment. I also want to share with you what AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
is out there talking about. She, of course, sees an opportunity here for folks to effectively come together and to create conditions, as she says, for a general strike. In fact, she says it's our responsibility, our, she's talking to the socialists of America. She's talking to socialists. And so she says, hey, it's our responsibility to come together and to create conditions for a general strike across America. Again, they're using the fear They're using the economic shutdown to say, hey, when we reopen, when we get back to normal, so to speak, we don't want there to be a normal. In fact, there's people calling actors and other influential people saying we don't want to return to normal. We want to go back or we want to go to something different. and, And what some people mean by different is radically different, fundamentally different. This is what AOC says. I'm going to read this part. I'm going to play a clip in a minute. But she says, when you, when we talk about this idea of reopening society, you know, like, you know, she didn't say like, but she probably was thinking it. Only in America does the president, when the president tweets about li- uh, liberation, does he mean go back to work? When we have this discussion about going back or reopening, I think people should just say no. We're not going to go back to that. We're not going to go back to working 70-hour weeks just so we could put food on the table and not even feel any sort of semblance of security in our lives. That's what she says. That's what she says. She, She also adds, this snapshot is being acknowledged as a turning point in the climate movement. You'll know that we've talked about that for some time. I remember as soon as I saw this extreme reaction, extreme governmental shutdown reaction to COVID, which again, I'm not saying was completely unjustified, though I'm open to the possibility. It's gotten abused and it's out of control. And instead of finding ways to throw people in jail, and there's an update on that as well for opening a hair salon or... Instead of sending a SWAT team, I don't know if you saw this, a SWAT team was sent to a uh, to a bar. Too many, I don't know, people were not supposed to be there. I don't know the, but they were sent there. People were going to be passing coronavirus. Anyway, she says this could be a turning point in the climate movement. Fossil fuels are in long-term structural decline. I think she feels like if she used the word structural, it sounds more intelligent. I noticed that she uses that word quite a bit. This, along with low interest rates, means it's the right time to create millions of jobs transitioning to renewable and clean energy, a key opportunity. So you'll see, you'll see things, and you're you're hearing murmurings of, of some of these things, radical things. In fact, some of these radical things are going through, or been you know introduced in Congress. Now you've seen that Pelosi is now opening opened up to. Uh, looking at the possibility of giving Americans a $2,000 a month stipend, at least through the coronavirus, the COVID situation. So you got radical ideas, the Green New Deal sitting there. They'll probably try to cram part of that or all of that into some sort of a COVID piece of legislation and then tell the American people if Republicans vote against it that Republicans don't want 
Americans to get well. You'll see some socialism in things, anything that can expand their power, their reach, their ideology, their dreams, their ambitions. That's what, folks, that's what we've got to be on alert from. So we've got to be on alert against the virus. We've got to be on alert against the economy. And we've got to be, not against the economy, but on the alert for economic difficulties and how to get back to reality, to normalcy. And then the last thing is we've got to be on the alert against these jokers in D.C. who are trying to take complete control, expand their reach, grow their power, fundamentally transform America. It's an opportunity. It's a crisis that they will not let go to waste. Etch those in stone. This is who they are. This is part and parcel of what they believe. This shows the integrity or lack thereof, the character, the lack thereof that these folks have. They are insatiable. They are ideologues. They are committed to changing the fundamental fabric of this great nation, and they are not above, not even for a second, above the concept that they'll take advantage of this crisis as an op- you know, see it as an opportunity, as an opportunity to use the fear and uncertainty of Americans to promise them, oh, yes, we can fix this. If you don't want this to happen again, let us implement our ideas. If you don't want this to happen again, let us take control and fundamentally change the economy. Don't go back to work. How is that liberating? How is going back to work liberating? That's what AOC and others like her are saying. So I want to play the sound, but I don't have time this segment because I've got a little bit long-winded here. But when we get back, I'm going to um, I'm going to play this a short clip of what she said, calling on Americans to basically fulfill their responsibility to create the conditions for a general strike across America. And then, of course, we can be socialists. And then, of course, if we were socialists, there would have been no COVID. If we were socialists, there would be no poverty. If we were socialists, there would be no needs. In fact, Biden would probably be our president. He would have cured cancer and uh, Alzheimer's and diabetes, and he may have added a couple of others. COVID definitely would have been added to the list. This is how these people talk about these things, think about these things, and prey upon people who can be convinced out of fear, out of fear of the uncertainty uh, as to what could be what could be coming in the future through you know fears of COVID, fears of losing a job, fears of whatever. Just trust the government. You know, it wasn't that long ago when Reagan said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Now, now we had people promising to basically do whatever it is, whatever it is that the individual wants to take away all their, or to fulfill their hopes and dreams and to take, take away all their fears. AOC and the Democrat Party promises to do it. It's sick. It's twisted. And candidly, the ideas are reprehensible as well. Got to take a time out. Come back and share that clip. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. So as promised, I want to play this soundbite, this clip. From AOC sitting in front of the camera on some, I don't know, some video forum trying to encourage these socialists in America 
to organize and candidly to stage a general strike demanding that the United States of America fundamentally change in the wake of COVID and that they turn to a more equitable system, that we turn to a more equitable system, which of course includes socialism. So let's play this soundbite from AOC. Again, remember, never let a crisis go to waste. They see this as a perfect opportunity to implement some of their radical, fundamentally anti-American ideology in this country. And they are not going to stop or slow down. We have to be on the lookout for this. We have to be on the alert, on the alert against this, because this will only intensify. This will only intensify as we continue to work our way out of this. Because once the crisis is gone, once America gets back to work, and once there's some sort of semblance of normalcy, the opportunity would have passed. The crisis would have passed. Their opportunity to fundamentally transform America will no longer be available, at least until the next crisis or manufactured crisis comes along. Not suggesting coronavirus is manufactured, but if they don't get a real crisis, they're happy to manufacture one to get the desired result as well. So anyway, here she is trying to rally the troops and get them to stage a general strike um, here in the United States. You know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, call for a general strike, call for a general strike. The majority of Americans don't know what a general strike is. And so our responsibility is to talk about it, expand consciousness about it, and to actually create the the conditions in which working people can can generate and really exercise their own power, the power that they already have for themselves. There you go. It's time for them to educate. It's time for them to use the conditions available. It's time for them to get together, explain what a general strike is, explain the beauty of the utopian ideals that the lovers of big government have put together for us, if we only accept them, if we only accept their help, if we only just say, you know what, you're right, you have fantastic ideas, you guys say that um, whatever we want effectively can be implemented through the government. In fact, I remember when they were trying to pass Obamacare years ago, back in 2009, 2010, I remember telling people at the time, why don't they just come out and say, We're going to end all cancer, death, and disease. Why not? Because the things that they promised during uh, through Obamacare were just as nonsensical and crazy as it would have been to say that. So, but they won't outright say that. Someone might, maybe someone like Anand, who we played first segment, maybe someone like AOC, who we just played, someone who's again got radical ideas and they can't really say anything that's too crazy for their base. But this idea that something's fundamentally wrong with free market capitalism, in fact, if you read what she said elsewhere, that reminded me, she retweeted or she tweeted this. Um, She actually retweeted a tweet by a, a lady named Emily Stewart. Emily Stewart tweets out, how is the stock market fine when everything else is, you know, definitely not? A possible explanation, she continues in her tweet, with the caveat, as one source put it, quote, if I'm being um, honest, I'm, I'm editing this on the fly here, 
if I'm being honest, though, nobody knows what's really going on. That's uh, in a Vox story about COVID-19. So AOC retweets that with this above the tweet. Hint, it starts with a C and ends with capitalism. So she's blaming capitalism is what's uh, the problem, a.k.a. this is what happens when Wall Street captures Congress and writes themselves bailout check after bailout check as working people die. Working people die because of capitalism. That's what AOC says. So it's time to um, abandon capitalism and turn toward the glorious utopia of socialism. I wonder if AOC has any idea how many people died at the hands of socialism, even in the 20th century alone. Approaching 100 million people died at the hands of um, lovers of big government, socialists and communists in the, in the uh, 20th century, in the 1900s. 100 million people died directly as a result directly as a result of their government, an ideological death, not just death, torture. You read some of these stories, it's incredible what people endured, especially those who had different ideas from their government, who wanted to speak out against their government, who wanted to talk about real freedom and demanding freedom, what they endured, the fate that they um, faced at the hands of their big government, they're socialist, communist governments. Reprehensible stuff. But she thinks that's the solution. And this is a time, an opportunity, a crisis that she does not want to let go to waste. So why not organize Americans to have a general strike and to uh, once and for all put an end, in her mind, to the dangers, the reprehensible nature of capitalism, of freedom. Oh, she loathes freedom. How she loathes freedom and i have to take a break come back i want to give you an update on the uh before the the first hour gets away from me here i want to give you an update on the uh the tennessee or excuse me the texas woman who was jailed for opening her hair salon you remember this we talked about this yesterday and i want to update you on that when we get back so sit tight be back here in just a minute So, 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 yesterday I shared the story, and you've probably heard this, read about this, seen this elsewhere, of the, uh, the woman in Dallas who closed, or excuse me, reopened, reopened her hair salon uh, because she and her staff needed to provide for their families. I mean, this this shouldn't be hard to understand. You know, I, I hear this, maybe not this case, but the issue of people wanting it, uh, to get back to work, people wanting to go out. I know there are people that just want to get a haircut. I know that. And the truth is, a lot of those folks are probably the celebrities that we've seen whining and complaining about having to sit in their in their homes on Instagram all day. I've seen some of this. You've seen all this. Some of this. I don't follow up much because it's it's just stupid. But um, most people, most normal average people want to get back out because they have realities. 
They have mortgages. They have families to feed. They have businesses that need to be, you know, that need to have customers. They have businesses that need uh, revenue. I know this is a concept that's hard for the radical left to accept, but business needs revenue. You know what else needs revenue? Employers, or excuse me, employees. If there's no revenue, there's no employees. At some point, there's no profitability. I say some point because businesses are, um, you know, when you when you invest and have a startup or you go through difficult times, you try to weather the storm and keep people on board, even if uh, and maybe uh, maybe even sometimes to their detriment, you try to keep employees on board as you weather these storms because a you don't want to lay the person off. You know that they're needed. You know that when you get through the crisis. You're going to need that help, and B, people don't want to, you know, to lay people off. It's amazing. I see small businesses demonized in lots of ways, and the truth is, I the, the small businesses I know, the small businesses I know go out of their way. They sacrifice personally to be able to keep staff on. Sometimes even when they shouldn't. Sometimes even when they shouldn't. Anyway, anyway. So this 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 woman, this hairstylist. She needed to get back to work. She violated the, uh, well, she was found guilty of violating the, the order to not, to not open her hair salon, governor's orders. The judge gave her three options. Well, they were, I forget, she should apologize for her being selfish. She could uh, pay a fine and shut down until Friday or serve jail time. She chose the jail time option, and I think she's being fined too. So I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure that those are three distinct. It's not clear when you read this this story. Yeah, it's seven days in jail, no bail, and a $7,000 fine. The, the attorney general of Texas has jumped in and said, this is not what needs to happen. In fact, he tweeted this out yesterday, seven days in jail, no bail, and a $7,000 fine is outrageous. No surprise Texans are responding I'm covering the $7,000 fine she had to pay, and I volunteered, uh, I, I volunteered to be placed under house arrest so she can go to work and feed her kids. So the attorney general in Texas saying, hey, I'll pay the fine, let her loose, put me under house arrest. She needs to go back. She needs to go back to work to feed her kids. So this story is not over. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, just again, the outrageous response of that judge, either you fall down on your knees before this court. This is how I interpret this. And candidly, this is how we all should – I mean this is how we should look at this. We've got the government basically saying, you apologize and I'll let you go. You, you admit that you're selfish, young lady. You admit that you're selfish and I will turn the other cheek. But if you don't, I will throw every conceivable resource at my discretion to make you pay. To make you pay in a mighty way. And it's a symbolic sentence, which I also have a problem with. Symbolic seven-day sentence, because that's apparently how many days she was open. We're now on to symbolic sentencing in the uh, in the courtroom, and at least in, in Dallas, Texas. So now the attorney general says, no, she needs to be released. Don't find her. I'm going to cover that. Put me under house arrest. So, <laughs> interesting development here. Got to take a time out. Out of time in this segment, you're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute.
that is about all the time we have for our number one. So we'll keep an eye. I don't. Again, this is the only story I've seen. I've seen this story in a couple different places, but I don't know yet um, if she has been released and that if that's been made available or public. I just haven't seen that yet. This hair salon owner who's been jailed. We talked about her yesterday. Um. So keep uh, we'll keep following that as well. But. Got to wrap up hour number one. By the way, you can listen to hour number two. We're going to stream it on YouTube. Stream hour two on YouTube, at least for the foreseeable future. You can check us out there. Or always, uh, you can also listen on our website if you're a subscriber to Total Access, tiedoffshow.com slash Total Access if you'd like to do that. So, music telling me it's time to wrap up hour number one. We'll continue hour number two here in just a few minutes. SDG, see you soon. <laughs> 